After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome back to Mind Rolling. Raghu Marcus here, along with my buddy David Silver. And uh, we are, let's see, we've got one major thing going on right now, Dave. That's a big storm coming through here. Well, you're expecting it. It's not there yet, right? Well, I can hear the big claps of thunder. So don't get scared, anybody. We just got some thunder and rain coming through North Carolina in the mountains. So um, now uh, this uh, off... Uh, offline, so to speak, uh, David and I were talking about uh, something that we mentioned in a previous podcast, and and, uh, and I, I convinced Dave that we should talk about it, because actually the person that we were talking about, whose name is Mr. Rogers, uh, who had that great TV show, um, he, uh, we referred to him somehow in a podcast, and we got a letter saying Whatever you were saying had a nasty tone about Mr. Roger. Can you say in general, you know, it was just well, like... Well, it's ad hominem to me. You were guiltless, I think, because then of you course. said you liked him. And I said something about... I, I, I forgot, honestly, what it was, but uh, a very good guy called Nate Marcel wrote to us and really severely objected to the way I sort of derogated or patronized Fred Rogers. And I wrote back to him and I said, I'm very sorry. Uh, I don't know why I did that, but occasionally we all have moments of, of lapse. <laughs> but you, Nate, you I didn't did, mean it. You I did feel mean, sorry. I love Fred Rogers. And I, I wrote back to Nate Raghu and said, you know, I'm sorry for doing that. I don't quite remember. I don't think it was too nasty. And I told Nate that I had lunch with Fred Rogers, I don't know, two or three times. We were both at WGBH TV in Boston. And he did, did dud. He did uh, <laughs> Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, I think it was called, yep, right? Yep, yep. Uh, and um, I had lunch with him, and I soon realized that it was better to satirize him than to try and, you know, sort of be super respectful, because he didn't like that. Um, he actually enjoyed uh, my rather scathing impersonations of him, which I would do in front <laughs> of him. Really? And then, then he would tell me that my show, which was on at the same time, I mean, in the same era, late 60s on GBH was, you know, basically, uh, you know, ridiculous, which it was. And so we'd go at each other and then laugh a bit and then go on our separate ways. That was thunder. I heard the thunder. I'm telling you, yeah. I'm wow, that's you. giving you special effects here, except they're the effects of Brahman. They're not as, you know, they're yeah. real. Well, anyway, you... uh, as far as Nate goes, Mr. Rogers is a loving person and a special person, and a lot of people love him. And he did a good job at a time when children were treated like children and not, not 
sort of, um, you know, with jingles based on gangster hip hop. So it's probably a good thing that he existed and influenced a lot of children in a very gentle way. And he was a lovely, gentle man. So, Nate, you're right. And uh, we like to uh, give feedback to people who give us feedback. So, um, Mr. Rogers, good. Dave, bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but I want to say something else. You see, I felt I had that sort of an attitude about Mr. Rogers for many years. The kids were watching whatever was happening. He was on. You were someplace. There he was taking, you know, in that sweater. I think he'd take the sweater off and put it on a hanger and everything, you know, and at the beginning of the show. And, you know, so we all had a certain image and we would call people, hey, Mr. Rogers, mother, you know, that kind of a thing uh, to for whatever cruel reasons that people do things on a day to day basis. Uh, so then one day, I don't know how many years later, but I was I was actually watching Mr. Rogers neighborhood. And I was I suddenly got, geez. This guy, he is for real. He really is caring and loving and wants only good of, of children and people. And, and a certain kind of innocence, which we've all lost, uh, was, was present. So from that moment on, I always thought, wow, Mr. Rogers was... I never even knew you saw Mr. Ro you had a lunch with Mr. Rogers. Now, yeah. who else out there, folks? Just listen to this. <laughs> what other podcast could you find somebody who hung out with uh, Jagger and Richards and Mr. Rogers? That it'd be impossible <laughs> to find such a thing. And because of that, we have to go into our commercial just because this is this is a star of mind rolling, David Silver, that we need you to go to Amazon and we need you to bookmark our Amazon affiliate link. Uh, go through mindrollingpodcast.com. You're doing it, and we're encouraging this to, to keep going forward and uh, keep up that great support. Also, audible.com. Uh, people are telling me 20%. The only thing that's moving, and, and I think I've said this before in another commercial, the only thing that's rising upwards in the publishing business is uh, books, you know, uh, audible.com books. Period. Twenty percent, some crazy thing, uh, more. So it obviously it's a good habit to have. So go to audible.com, and uh, through our portal, and um, you know you get a free trial, and you can get uh, soon to come, Dave. I haven't told you this. You're the first one to know it. But uh, we have done from the Ramdas side. We have done the latest book into an audible.com book or into an audible book. And that is Polishing the Mirror. And our friend Rameshwar Das uh, just uh, recorded it himself. And he's the author with Ramdas. So you'll be able to get that. And by the way, our t shirts are going like hotcakes. And uh, <laughs> we had to get a new order of t shirts. So. Uh, your rap the other week was just absolutely that started the ball rolling and but I'm giving today you get a break but because you're the star uh, you know <laughs> having had lunch with Mr. Rogers fantastic all right I have something else to, to I hope so yeah well we all right let's move into our next <laughs> lovely subject I I don't know did I send you this I love this so much this is only could happen in India. It's just fantastic. 
Did I send this to you? I think I did. The family and followers of one of India's wealthiest Hindu spiritual leaders. So as soon as you read that, wealthiest Hindu spiritual leader, that's not the kind of adjective that you really want to believe in a lot. Are fighting a legal battle over whether he's dead or simply in a deep state of meditation. So they have this guy on ice, literally. And they're saying, no, he's going to come back in. I shouldn't even be doing this. This is, uh, you know, so crazy. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, it it is crazy. But we both read about, you know, usually Tibetan lamas of the highest order who are so pure that that when they do pass on, their body doesn't decay for ages. And um, and and their followers, you know, knew this before the, the death. And, you know, they're, they're just so um, removed from the distraction for 40, 50, 60 years of meditation that, that when they leave, um, the body doesn't decay like, like most people. So, um, you know, this isn't ridiculous. And also we know that many yogis, uh, many, can reduce their breathing speed to almost nothing and stay alive for, you know, long, 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 long yeah, time. What about, yeah, what about those yogis that uh, with herbs and alone in a, in a, you know, some cave somewhere, they would spend time, uh, like long periods of time, I think it would take like a year and they'd actually rejuvenate their bodies. And, uh, you know, this has been in Yogananda type books. I can't remember exactly. Uh, you've you've but, actually experienced it. I mean, you and KD and everybody, didn't you meet little Maharaji and... That's not the Maharaji we usually talk about, but a, a, a wonderful yogi called Little Maharaji. Yeah, from Brindavan. Yeah, uh, we did. And he was very old also, you know, 130, 40 years old. Uh, he just died, actually, within the last couple of years. And I don't know that he, he, that he, he did the rejuvenation regime that, you know, some of these advanced beings can do. But the point here is... Like that's this is what India is all about, you know. I mean, the truth is, this this guru could absolutely be in some deep place, and you know, and is not going to be bothered, and is not breathing. I mean, it would be unusual for it to be reported by this particular publication, whose other stories are related articles, right? Guru claims homosexuality can be cured by yoga. Okay, that's another of their articles. Okay, like (laughs) we might about treasure search after holy man's golden dream. So they're having a treasure hunt, and India's love guru campaigns for free sex in India, where they're covered top to bottom (laughs) completely. And um, yeah, so this is this is what else is going on. Uh, I just thought India, it's complex because you have the worst absolute BS, you know, that you can run into in any place in India, you know, fake uh, spiritual uh, people, leaders and all that. And, and, and then on the other side, you actually have the real thing, real siddhas in one place. It's uh, the dichotomy is extraordinary. Um, anyhow. So they said, while he's thought to have died from a heart attack, his devotees believe he simply drifted into a deeper form of meditation, as a, a, which he promotes as a path to self-realization. Yes. So, you know, and this, who knows? He's been, so he has spent many years, because med- he also meditated in sub-zero temperatures in the Himalayas. So it's not unusual, is what they're saying. True. It's not unusual. 
unusual. His body's held in a guarded room in a deep freezer on his 100-acre retreat. That's another um, bit, you know, this that's like the wealthiest Hindu guru around, you know, his 100-acre uh, retreat center in India. 100 acres is like, forget about it. Um, all right, I'm not going to go on about this. I, it's just unbelievable. Uh, and it does. It does. They had a picture of him in the paper, too. Yeah, yeah, he looked he he looked between life and death. He didn't look really dead to me, but he didn't look too. But you know, uh, it leads us to kind of a bit of a theme for this podcast, which is about the right use of meditation, I guess, and uh, if there is such a thing as the right use of medica- meditation. And and Raghu sent me uh, an article um, about Wall Street and hedge fund managers and other you know so-called masters of the universe, which is the most ironic phrase ever ever put together right. for these guys but anyway uh, about them learning all different kinds of meditation starting off with tm and then into other things and it's a huge article about how it's affected their work and how they've become more successful and less stressed uh, because of the use of various forms of meditation now within that article and certainly in the commentary from people who read it there's a lot of back and forth about well is this a good thing or is this a terrible thing in other words, they're going to learn to rip us off even better right. because they're using uh, ancient uh, techniques. Uh, is this a good thing? Can it be a good thing? And in those commentaries, there was a back and forth that was very intelligent, actually, that said, well, I don't think that meditation can result in anything bad if you're doing it the right way. The question is, what are these people doing it for? Uh, are they doing it just to get more power? And if so, um, can we really call that meditation? Well, it says here, the idea that type A traders are seeking profit with the same tool that Buddhist monks use to achieve enlightenment might seem like a sacrilege. Yet, most people misunderstand meditation. Uh, and this is by this guy, Jay Michelson, who's the author of Evolving Dharma, Meditation, Buddhism, and the Next Generation of Enlightenment, which is, uh, we ought to look him up too. That sounds interesting. But the idea... This is exactly what we're talking about with the Indian guru, right? That could be, you know, he either died and this, you know, he's on ice and nothing's going to happen, or he's, you know, he actually has the power to be able to rejuvenate his body. Uh, and this is the, so it's it, and it's being done for the good. So I, you know, a lot of this is around. Yeah, I mean, you can get, you know, one pointed. And use one-pointedness to become more successful. No doubt about it. In any endeavor, from martial arts to, uh, you know, to uh, bond traders. So, it's it's really. Uh, I think we back up to motivation. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. On the other hand, who's to say that maybe the, uh, you know, the just even thinking about meditation, you know, just what it is, or mindfulness, right? Just when you start to think about that, then you sort of naturally think about other things that aren't your thinking about yourself. You might bump into something that brings you out. You know, even even this these traders, you know, that are seeking profits, you know, and being, you know, more powerful masters, um, they might bump into something in one moment that absolutely changes their perspective or gives them some idea about self-interest, about what they are doing. Possible, no? 
Absolutely. I mean, it's it's really uh, exclusion, exclusionary and somewhat elitist to bar these people from that, because as you say, it, it gives uh, at least a chance that the, the, the idea of greed, power, megalomania will be diminished. And instead of that, they'll learn how to do what they do. After all, trading and so forth is not illegal. Uh, it's a, a, a legitimate part of capitalism. So maybe when they're doing that and they've made their billion, they will indeed uh, divest of that billion in various very charitable and beautiful ways. Uh, or they'll end up buying the Los Angeles Clippers. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, for $2 billion, cost $12 million 30 years ago. Um, I don't know. It's one of those things you can't be too judgmental about. I, I, Raga, I read this thing. I don't know where I read it last week. From uh, a person. Oh, it was on Facebook. Uh, a person I vaguely know, I've met her a couple of times, very smart woman, and she was getting really upset about um, the false yogis and doing yoga just to look good and, and, to, and to, you know, get the right job and all of that and, and showing off was the expression she used where gazelle bunchen and models and every, every um, other actress and sometimes actor uh, are doing yoga. And it was a very kind of angry sort of thing saying, where's the original, where's the original? My response to that was, we live in America in 2014. America is a very inventive country. We know it's got all kinds of faults. One of the great things about America actually is its ability to modify things so that, not necessarily simplify, but modify things so that everybody can have a go. And if Giselle Bunch and doing yoga will inspire um, men and women and teenagers and so on to, to get into it, that's a good thing. Uh, and to be so purist about it is actually kind of elitist because everybody should have a chance to, to reap the benefits of these wonderful, um, mindful and inward-based disciplines. So, you know, it's easy to be snotty-nosed about this. I've done it myself many times, particularly when I was in the town of Santa Monica, which, <laughs> is, which seems to be all yogis and just a few other people. Um, but mm. there's no need for that. It's just, it's just terribly judgmental and nasty, really. But... There is a question which I'll ask you, Raghu, is if, if someone is being trained as a martial artist uh, and a meditator and therefore learns how to eliminate people really efficiently, um, is, that, is there anything good about that? Deep question. Jeez. Um, you know... Well, the only thing I can think of is the is is the Gita. So, to use, uh, you you have to be a uh, at the very least a very evolved being, right? Krishna says to Arjuna, "You need to do. You need to fight, and you need to win this war. You need to kill. You need to do your dharma without attachment, right? Because he says, I can't do this." I can't commit these acts. This is my family because it was an inter-family war. Um, so at the level of which you can be um, Arjun and you can have Krishna, you know, guiding you in, in that way, which is obviously he could only have that kind of darshan if he himself was pretty free being. So from that standpoint... Yes, but from anything below that, no, you're just, no matter what, I mean, if you're a completely conscious being and y y 
you know how to take people across, you know, to the other side. I mean, none of that's reality. So no, the answer is no. Well, you know, I agree. And and our dear friend John Hall Roshi John Halifax says in this same article, uh, John's a teacher at the Opei Zen Center in Santa Fe. She says she's concerned about the lords of finance using meditation for unjust ends, ignoring the moral principles embodied in Buddhism. She says, you can train people with meditation to be sharpshooters. Are they trying to get smarter so they can exploit more people? Or are they interested in creating a more just financial system? Hmm. So Roshi Joan really puts the dichotomy perfectly there. Uh, and knowing human beings a little bit, I would think it's divided between those two things. There are obviously people who want to get better at what they do. And TM, uh, as I remember it, was often, you know, quoted as being something that will help you gain prosperity and uh, a balanced life whereby you're, you're, you know, you're making good money and et cetera, et cetera. And that is nothing like what a lot of the great tulkus and uh, uh, at least Dzogchen Buddhist masters talk about, which is that you might as well forget about materialism altogether. It's all going to disappear really quickly, and you're going to be stuck like Donald Trump with 10 mansions and 40 cars, and then you're going to die. So what is the point of all that? And what was the point of putting all that meditative energy into creating personal wealth? And there is where Joan, I think, hits it. I said that, but what she says is if you can create a... We're going to have some kind of system. And if she, she's saying if you can create a more just financial system, which is more humanitarian and creates less inequality, well then, gr great. Then you're doing a great service, you know. And, and I don't think we can say much more than that about it. Um, oh, well, but it is back to what we said, which she, you know, of course she's so great, Roshi Joan, in terms of explaining things. Um, I'm putting them to very succinct and understandable sound bites. Um, but it is motive. It's around motivation, and that's what she's explaining. If the motivation is for these people to, to create a new, you know, uh, a system that is is you know, way more even for everybody. Uh, or you know, then of course this is this is a, a great thing. U utilizing, you know, mindfulness, meditation, one pointedness, whatever. So, uh, but if it's not, then it's definitely another thing. And it is, um, you know, it has a destructive nature to it. So it is using these tools for a destructive nature thing. Um, I, I like this little thing, though, that they talk about. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, they talk about meditation is brain hacking. I love that term, though. Isn't that cool? Brain it, hacking, yeah. He's saying it because it, it exploits the elastic nature of our gray matter. Exploits the elastic nature of our gray matter. Altering its makeup. Um, you know, altering as such, it may be the ultimate disruptive technology. Brain hacking. That kind of talk gets the attention of traders. Okay. These guys are saying there's an edge here that I need. So they keep coming back with this thing about it all boils down to winning. This is going to help them win. They need to win a lot every day over Goldman Sachs, right? And that's yeah. what they're saying. Um, but in another way, the idea – I love the concept, the uh, brain hacking, um, because uh, isn't that what it does? It disrupts that normal – the patterns, the habitual tendencies, 
the endless caught in you know thought after thought emotion after emotion it it disrupts that so i love this can we co-op this thing dave brain yeah. hacking i want to co-op this yeah brain you know, hack- let's register it and write a book brain hacking i mean the brain maybe, hackers yeah yeah, it's no, fantastic. Uh, That'll be the name of the podcast, right? I mean, I guess you know everything. Everything is is a vehicle, and that um, when we talk about martial arts, for instance, uh, most great martial artists, I think, would say that it's a meditative discipline. It's not actually designed to kill people anymore, but it, the the practice of Tai Chi or Qigong balances you and centers you, and eventually will give you that. Um, road to enlightenment liberation and I, I know that that's true because we've all met people who've been very serious martial artists who are incredibly advanced in their own way and very gentle interestingly enough um I mean, you know I, to deny that possibility is ridiculous we, you know, but in this article that you sent me which is really interesting actually um they talk about guidance and uh, the fact that if there's some guidance from a master or a great teacher uh, to the person that's learning meditation, they will be guided to not use it to further exploit other people or to become oligarchs or something. Because, right. you know, as you said before, if, you, if you're meditating, the frontal lobe is completely affected. The plasticity and elasticity of the brain and the neuroplasticity will eventually read out to you the headline, be kind for everyone is fighting a great battle and therefore show compassion for people and don't tread on me, don't tread on me and don't tread on anyone else because it's just so that vision which comes from uh, deep meditation, the practice of meditation and yoga. I mean, I have to say that I'm not a great practitioner of yoga, but when I do the yoga, uh, I invariably come into contact with my own emotions and predilections and obsessions during the doing of the yoga. And it makes me understand how far I am away is frequently from a pure experience of of an asana or of any kind of, of yogic practice. And that in itself is such a teaching. Uh, so that it's hard for me to imagine even a, a hardened hedge funder to be completely unaffected by the process, or shall we say the corollary or the end product of practice meditation over a period of, of a, a good period of time. Um, mm. You know, we've got to be liberal enough to see that. And yet at the same time, you've got to be careful that, uh, you know, potential um, uh, exploiters of people are not learning better techniques as to how to calm themselves so they can be really exploited. Can you, can you, um, would you mind describing some of the obsessions that you had while you were in that yoga class? Uh, Well, um, usually they're conversations actually with me. They're like com- imaginary conversations that uh-huh. I'm suddenly having in the middle of a, a hatha yoga position. And it's somebody saying, oh, I don't agree with that. Or why haven't you called me? And I, <laughs> why haven't you called me? And I'm in that conversation, I'm going, I haven't called you because don't like you. Oh, no, no, I really do like you. I love you. And then suddenly, wow, I'm doing the thing wrong. <laughs> I, I don't have my leg up in the right way. My hands are hurting. And that proves to me that you've got to focus or else once you let, you know, the the wandering monkey mind take over your yoga, your meditation. You know, everybody's had that experience of doing a 20-minute meditation and coming out of it, and the only thing that you really were conscious about was the little gong or bell or thing on your iPhone that says the 20 minutes is over, and then you're really awake. The rest of the time, you're in some kind of dreamland, wandering all over your personal psychic emotional universe. And 
Um, that's why med- meditation is so great, because even though within it there's the problem, within it is also the solution. Very hey, interesting, really. So uh, here's a great... So one of the biggest proponents, John Kabat-Zinn, is his name of mindfulness in medicine and healthcare and and in, and for mind rollers, all of us mind rollers out there, what we would call natural balance. We're just trying to get to a natural balance in our day to day. So he defines mindfulness as paying attention in a particular way on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. The aim is to become more aware of the present and avoid getting hijacked, another good word, by the past or the future. Central to Buddhism are the unsettling notions that everything we know is impermanent and that all we have is the here and the now. Be here now. We're back to be here now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it all is back to the present, isn't it? I mean, mean, does a person who's making billions and who meditates gradually get the point that all these things that he or she is aggrandizing themselves with are impermanent? And therefore, oh my goodness, I'm going to stop acquiring stuff and do something better with my life um, because of meditation. Is it, is it powerful enough within an, a, a really, really obsessed personality who wants to be a billionaire or something with great power? Um, will, it, will it sort of moderate that? It's, there's a, you know, a, a billion... I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not... Well, I just think there's a billion, quadrillion lifetimes, incarnations, right? Everybody is going through. Uh, I think if there if there's any consciousness at all where you actually are aligning yourself with the proper motive, you know, um, I think that, uh, again, even the traitor on Wall Street can be doing it for all of the wrong reasons, so to speak. But they're actually reasons that help him sleep better, aside from winning, feeling like he's more on top of it, he or she. You know, so uh, it, it is not serving, and it, and it is certainly destructive from what we've certainly experienced in the last... Uh, you know, since 2008, where we've come how hyper-aware of what these uh, trading properties can actually do and affect people on an individual basis in a very, very uh, negative manner. So, uh, but again, you go back, there's that one moment that, you know, something's able to slip in you know, the uh, the brain hacking, you know, has an effect that makes somebody vulnerable or makes them see their own self-interest so strongly that they actually, their motivation starts to change. So who's to say if that, you know? And so I, I think it's just fine. I think it's like, you know, everything you're talking about yoga and how it's just become you know, so commercialized and, and turns off many, many, many people. We were going to, um, you know, you suggested this and, and we're going to, we'll have a chat with uh, my wife, Saraswati Devi, who is a Chinese medicine doctor and a yoga instructor. 
and has combined uh, these two disciplines along with the Tao together, and that'll be an interesting time. We can we can talk to her and get her perspective on yoga. And we also we're gonna we have a little something from Ramdas that we can also give us another perspective, which really addresses everything because it's not just it's the same principle for anything. Any spiritual path, you know, it's the same using meditation, chanting, um, re, you know, reading uh, spiritual books, uh, hanging out with uh, teachers, the holy men, whatever it is, it's it's what you're bringing in that moment. And and, and you know, there's there's lots of motivations for power, uh, you know, at every, uh, you know, under on the ages of almost anything, practically everything. In fact, everything. So, yeah. But ultimately, so I'm I'm down for for uh, as much as people want to um, get connected to mindfulness. I think it's a good thing, even though initially it may be not for the correct reasons. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we're being you know nice about it, and we should be. But uh, you know, uh, because to be you know, nice. What nice? I didn't feel nice. No, you're saying that it's you know you're just being tolerant. I mean, you're saying well, you know, people who are um, doing it for to gain you know foothold in a higher capitalist state uh, are are they're allowed to do it? It's fine. It's better than just an all out, completely desire motivated uh, megalomania, which can really hurt people and hopefully. Um, I mean, capitalism may not be the best system in the world, but it, it, it has some good points to it. It, it encourages uh, some kind of progress. Uh, you know, we get. Let's put it this way: it's better than doing meth. Okay. Yeah, it's better than doing meth. Or exactly. coke, uh, yeah. the, which you know, apparently a lot of these traders have been have done, and it's that kind of job, right? Get hyped up. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, yeah we, it's, but it we could saw be the Leo DiCaprio film and then I'm sure right. that was exaggerated, but yeah. there was a moment back then when they were just going crazy with yeah. the, uh, and they probably are still now some of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, sure. Yeah. Again, it, uh, it just, uh, yeah, maybe just because it's meditation, you, you're not necessarily going to wake up under any circumstances unless you're supposed to wake up and, you know, so you're absolutely right. It's just, you know, we, we shouldn't be namby-pamby here about this is bullshit. They're taking this, you know, using this in a way that is completely counter to everything it represents. So I'm taking the other side now, okay? Screw them. It's completely false. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a thing on morning show this morning of... Uh, a woman from uh, Los Angeles who was teaching uh, Hatha yoga on surfboards. So you, you surf out, right? Yeah. And then you find a place beyond the waves and then you do the um, downward dog on the, on, the, on the board and everybody does it together. And uh, when they asked her, the host said, well, why do this? Why not just do it on the beach? And she said, oh, yoga is getting too easy for people. I want to make it harder. So I'm putting them on surfboards. And, you know, you couldn't find that attitude in anywhere except Southern California. Uh, right. But there's nothing wrong with it, you know. And, and she was very um, convincing. Yoga was a health. She was talking about yoga as a health, um, you know, health matter. And obviously it is. It is. So if everybody could just get healthy and, and by doing yoga, that's a big deal. So we're, we're bending backwards and forwards to like, you know, like a politician here. It's good. It's bad. It's not bad. It's not that good. 
Next, next subject. <laughs> okay, both those things know, are. You're the guy with all the great articles. I'm just a passive person here, waiting for info. Okay, uh, now here's something that uh, I always like for the end of the program to be, uh, you know, give some kind of, uh, you know, antidotes, right, to some of this stuff. Um, and yeah. including using meditation, you know, to get more powerful, which is, again. Uh, and here it is, okay? This is pretty far out. I didn't send this to you. Oh. Okay. Look inside your kitchen cabinet, and odds are you have a collection of old friends gazing back at you. Just so, can you put yourself in, in front of your kitchen? You're going to open the door, okay, Dave? Mm-hmm. All right. And what are you going to see? The Quaker Oats Man. Okay, and if it's not him, the sun-made girl, or Aunt Jemima, maybe oh, a Keebler elf or two, and you want to know why they're there? Okay, you'll never guess, because it certainly doesn't sound like it's a health regime, right? No. Why are they there? Can you guess? Um, laziness and not throwing them out. <laughs> okay, okay. The reason they are there may have more to do with your subconscious craving for eye contact than the taste of the products. I'm leaving. What do you okay. mean? I'm out of here. No, they proved this in a study published. What do you mean? Looking at, looking at Colonel, I mean, what? Look, it's, it's you mean looking at, looking the at the Quaker Oat Oats Man? man. The, just the Quaker Oats Man. Okay, I have a huge, huge, a big bin of Quaker oats with the Quaker oats, man. I mean, as soon as we finish here, I'm going to go take a look. In a study published last month in the journal Environment and Behavior, okay, this is researchers at Cornell, no bullshit here, okay, manipulated the gaze of the cartoon rabbit on trick cereal boxes and found that adult subjects were more likely to choose tricks over compelling brands if the rabbit was looking at them rather than away. Okay, a study at Cornell. People are dying. They want you go. You walk around New York, you, Dave. You you go in New York and you're on the streets. Do you ever give a, a, a look at another person in the eye contact? Uh, I try not to actually because it usually ends badly. <laughs> oh God! I uh, made eye contact with Maria Shriver on 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 Fifth Avenue. A couple of years ago, I was walk, just walking there, 55th up to 57th, and she came out of Bergdorf or one of those places, and I really made eye contact with her. I don't know why. And she was nice. You know, she smiled back. I don't back. know why. Well, she, she'd already left Schwarzenegger, so I thought maybe I had a chance. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> but why her? You know, I mean, who would I like her. She's a very public-spirited but, woman, and she's done a lot of good. Okay. That's... And she's beautiful, too. She's very small. Mm. And, I mean, can you imagine get being married to Schwartz? I mean, I can't even, anyway. Well, but wait a minute. Did. Let's go back to the Quaker Oats. Okay, no, saying... I'm coming back now. I'm coming back, okay? Yeah. So, yeah, people, yeah. so if you had the rabbit facing right at you, you'd buy that over any other bullshit, okay? I would not. That's really yeah. wrong. In a creepy corollary, the researchers found that the eyes of characters on boxes of cereal marketed to kids were directed downward and could meet the upward gaze of children in grocery store aisles. Can you, can you believe this? Do you hear I have it? one word. I have one word for you. Kali Yuga. 
Yeah. Making, no, this is a good thing. You'll see. Making oh. eye contact, even with a character on a cereal box, inspires powerful feelings of connection. Professor at Cornell of Applied Economics and Management and the director of the school's food and brand lab. Cornell has a food and brand lab. Uh, and one of the authors, authors of the study. So, um, this follows a flurry of recent research on the magnetic and mesmer, mesmeric nature of eye contact and its essential role in delivering, in developing emotional stability and social fluency. Yeah, between people. Not with the rabbits on the side of a, a box. Even those rabbits on the side of a box. Now, oh, wait, oh, oh my yeah. goodness. Oh, it's, my goodness. This is or just right. training. So you should be going to your cupboard, and you open the door, and you connect with Quaker Oats Man. And just, it's your training for, you able to, for being able to do that, not just with Maria Schreiber, but anybody in New York on the streets and spread, you know, uh, the good word. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'll end up in some, you know, cell. Researchers have also found that children and adults who avoid or are denied eye contact are more likely to suffer from depression and feelings of isolation as well as exhibit antisocial traits traits such as callousness such as the callousness that you were just displaying <laughs> well it is true i don't have of the oatmeal quakers but i've got red mill scottish oatmeal and it's got no face on it and I love it, but I guess that makes me into a callow and callous non-eye contact. Exactly. Crap. You need to be... Oh, uh, the answer. I've been waiting so long. This is it. Uh, You've got it. What a relief. I, I have to leave now. I'm going to the grocery. I have to make eye contact with the Quaker... Okay. Oak. Rather than cause and effect, the hypothesis is that the relationship between less eye contact and psychological problems is circular and reinforcing. Yes. This is alarming in a society where people increasingly spend more time looking at their mobile devices than at one another. Okay, is that, I mean, we're getting to the crux of it now, all right? Well, I think this is not just, I, you know, yeah, it's a drug, people looking at the phone all the time, but lack of eye contact, to be slightly serious for a minute, has always been a problem in Western societies where family warmth and the breakup of all kinds of, of seemingly necessary bonds has become a way of life. And um, yeah, uh, when you see people, when you talk to someone and they don't look at you, it's 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 really not that fantastic. It's not that great, is it? I mean, you, you just don't communicate, and you're not feeling the warmth of the soul of of the person. No, you're not. You don't feel heard. <clears throat> Everybody wants to feel heard. And yeah. when you're not giving eye t contact, I know this happens to me with with my wife. When I, you know, I'm a little ADD, and when I go off, and she's like, where are you going, you know, because she's demanding be here now all the time. It's like living with a be here now uh, thing. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> and uh, so that it is entirely ex explicitly important uh, you know, as much fun as we're having with this thing, uh, you know, and there's more to the article, but, um, you know, it, we know this in our lives. And I'll tell you, the first time that I understood that in a much larger sense was when, um, 
I first met Ramdas, okay, because he was completely <laughs> yeah. talk about eye right, contact. I, right into you, I know. Yeah, I mean, he was, it was his, uh, when I look back on it now, it was his uh, way of demonstrating his commitment, commitment to being present in the moment. Here we all are. Here we are. We're okay, which was like all of his lectures. Here we are. We got lots of weird shit. You know, we're neurotic. You know, we have weird thoughts. We're scared of ourselves. We're judging and all that. But we're here we are. Look, you know, and he would just, you know, do this con- uh, contact thing with you. And then he would do it. Uh, and I've mentioned this before. I don't know which podcast, Ramdas uh, Here and Now or Mind Rolling. Um, but he, uh, we would do exercises and he'd say, whatever it is that you're afraid to say, say it. Uh, after after a couple of minutes of just kind of getting present through, because if one person is is got a lot of spaciousness and freedom in themselves and trust, then that's going to get transmitted to whoever it is that they come into contact with through eye contact. So in reality, I think it's extraordinarily important. Of course, the way that they're going at it from, you know, like, you know, brands and and all that stuff. These people are actually, can you imagine that they put a character on a kid's box that looks down because they know, because kids are going to be looking up? I mean, wow, that's incredible. So, yeah. Well, it's Mad Men, you know. I mean, it's it's people sitting in a room in New York or L.A. or somewhere and just saying, look, the kids can't connect with the boxes so make them look down and it's manipulation and it's 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 either something really awful or not so awful but you know it's a product it's reality they're they gonna make to, they want it they gotta sell their product and the kid yeah. wants to get what he wants to get and he wants to be able to contact <laughs> uh i'm i'm gonna go hang out with uh, my quaker oats man I'll never look at him uh, the same from now on. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, I, I I have a number of, um, like we all do, picture, puja pictures of various masters. And some of them, when you look at them, they do come alive. And when you look them straight in the eye, uh, they look back at you and sometimes they can clean out a lot of stuff. And that's that's something I do think about a lot. But I think what you were sort of getting at is that, you know, in day-to-day life, we don't look at people. And why don't we look at them? Because it's just a convention of our society, isn't it? It's, it we don't look people straight in the eye that we don't know because it's conceived of as being intrusive. How ironic is that? Right, exactly, exactly. Hey, uh, I gotta, I'll close with this, a little story about eye contact, okay? Um, and forgive me again if I've told this story before because we've done so many podcasts, but it's a great, it, it really applies here. Uh, and it's uh, our very, very close good friend K.K. Shah from India, uh, who you can see on Ramdas.org and various uh, teaching guises. Uh, he, when he was a young man, went to the town of Brindavan where Krishna, in the gopis chased Krishna, chased Krishna around. And uh, there's a temple there, Ninkaroli Baba Temple, and all his temples had Hanuman. And outs- in this case, outside the temple, right outside the, the, the actual temple, I mean, it was its own temple, and then in the back was where Maharaja would be. 
Uh, there's a Hanuman statue. Okay, beautiful Hanuman. We 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 were just learning about Hanuman at the time, and we always loved that particular image. It was very benign and compassionate uh, image, the the uh, facial uh, structure and so on. So this this uh, friend of ours, KK, he went down there. Now KK, he grew up with Dean Karoli Baba. I mean, you know, he had a level of faith and trust and. Uh, commitment, you know, that was uh, part of uh, generations <laughs> that his family had lived with uh, these kind of saints, uh, Siddhas. And uh, so he went to pay his respect, and he was bowing. He was, no, he wasn't even, he had his hands folded, but he wasn't bowing, and he was off to the left side, I believe it was the left side of the Murti, of the statue. And from that left side, Somebody took a picture. Now, this is 60s in India, okay? So there was no uh, jiggering with this shit, okay? You see the picture. You see Hanuman's eyes shifted to the right to meet KK, okay? In the picture. I have the picture. And there's no way that, you know, in Little India photo, because he gave us the picture, and there's no way that Little India photoshops were doing, you know, whatever. No way. Anyhow, that's my little miracle story about eye contact. Yeah, it's great. And it's a great... You have never mentioned that before. And mm-hmm. I think it's just a fantastic story. And, uh, you know... That's all about, uh, you know, someone who has real faith. I mean, you know, that yeah. can You know, if he believed that Hanuman actually inhabited that piece of marble. You know, he, he was connected to it beyond form, and that's that's how those kinds of things happen. Anyhow, not yeah. to get too trippy. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's a miracle, and in, in the, you know, sort of like the, you know, Christian Catholic people talk about weeping Madonnas and so forth, and, we're, you know, one can be right. cynical or skeptical about that, but I, I guess that I'm really interested in that, in the deeper aspect of psychokinesis, and, and you're looking at the Hanuman, and it moves, and things happen that are beyond time and space, because you've put yourself also uh, right. to connect with that plane. And so it isn't very much to think, okay, if you're both connected, if, if, the, you know, if there's an inherent quality. And we've all been in temples and places where there's just a vibe that you, cu- you could cut with a knife. It's just so amazing. And it does change you and puts you in a state of uh, a much more contemplative and compassionate state as a rule. And how do you explain that? I mean, why would a building made of, you know, mud or made of brick or stone and having icons in it, why would it feel any different from a Burger King? Uh, Well, (laughs) you know, I mean, but seriously, why? And, and, And it's because of the number of people who've been there and they've imprinted their consciousness on it and their passion and then the deity respond. I mean, I've had the experience many times, actually, of looking at pictures of, um, particularly Shirdi Sai Baba Maharaji and um, Babaji in the in the in the Yogananda lineage, and the eyes are very powerful, and, and they can change you and relieve you of emotional distress. And if people want to use the word wishful thinking or anything, they can. But um, that's really got nothing to do with it. It's more like the trust in that being mm. and the eye contact is such a gift. It's such an amazing gift uh, that it can heal you momentarily of some, you know, some troubled 
um, emotional grip that something's got on you and then you look at the master and you see that embodiment of of um, of God I guess is the word I, I just like I like it, it the uh, just this the simplistic thing of of that's how we connect that's how we really connect as people humans and the more we do of that and is is uh, is really beneficial in so many ways uh, I think that's a it's a powerful um, social action. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. All right, we got to go. We got to go. Do? We're o- yeah, we're over our time here. Well, what about that little excerpt of Ramdas talking about meditation I, and everything? I don't have it. I'm gonna. Oh. Yeah, I I've heard it. I know it's oh, somewhere. Oh. But some, well, we're gonna get somebody to get the. Where is it? <laughs> yeah, well, so the archivist has it. He's gonna. Yeah, get so let's it. do a quick commercial just to make people happy. Okay. Please uh, bookmark the Amazon portal on mind rolling podcast.com make it easy for yourself and those of you in in england who've written to us saying they're having difficulties apparently if you just use the amazon uk uh, the beginning of the amazon uk url and then add on to it the mind rolling podcast part of the normal one uh, apparently it works so there you go you found it yeah, someone wrote to us, actually, and I think it, I, I'm not explaining it totally clearly, but just take the UK version of the beginning of the URL and then add to it the Mind Rolling Podcast, you know, thing after the slash, and it will work. You're so, really asking people to do a hell of a lot. Can you not put it up on our, on our website? Just put the link there for people? Well, that gets me to another point. People mm-hmm. have got to look at the website and, and stop, you know, you know, sort of, not being attentive to to our thing. Uh, I can't be too dictatorial about this, but it would be nice if you looked at the website occasionally. And then you'll see the Amazon portal on it and go to it and and buy, uh, you know, stuff. I mean, and we can suggest all kinds of things, but we don't want to, you know, be too... Burdensome. Um, burdensome or, or didactic. But you can certainly... Many of the people we talk about, Ramdas and Pema Chodron and Roshi Joan, Halifax and... And and so many others um, are all available there. And if you buy them, uh, and you know we get a part of them. And if you you know if you have a Amazon Prime, eventually it works out. If you buy a number of things from them, and you don't pay shipping. So if you're buying something big like a refrigerator, not a refrigerator, but an air conditioning unit. No, the refrigerator is good. But uh, do you think at this point in the show that anybody at this point they've okay they're ending with a commercial? Forget about it. Okay, there's three people. Three of our most loyal listeners are still listening. Well, you three in your in your in your you know hybrid car on the Pacific Coast Highway. When you get back to your (laughs) lovely house, you know, buy a couple of. T-shirts from from Ragu, with my, you know, they're great. I have one. They're lovely. The burgundy one is really nice. It, it's very attractive. And mugs, buy some and mug your mind. We mugs. ran out of mugs. Okay, mug Don't your buy mind. Mugs. Don't even ask for mugs. Yeah, we we'll get. Them. We'll let you know when there's mugs. Oh, okay, uh, that's Don Draper would have a part of that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, okay. All right. Love you, everybody. Love you, Dave. It's been great. And mindrollingpodcast.com. Go and join us and write to us, and we'll see you next week.